0: One of my interests is gentrification and one of the reasons is because I've lived it. So I've lived in an area where nobody wanted to live, where it was only blue collar, low income workers and you fast track 30 years and now all the white collar professionals, the hipsters, they all want to move into this area.
1: This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Taran Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with property professor Peter Kalisos, author, lecturer and avid property investor. We'll follow his journey from flipping houses after school in LA to teaching year 3 in the New York Peninsula all the way to now working as Program Director the Master of Property at the University of Adelaide. Having experience in both the theory and practice of the property market, connecting life and learning to help others is one of Kalisos' greatest joys.
0: Before I was a university lecturer, I was a school teacher Um, but now, so now what I have is I have a passion for teaching and a passion for property. So being able to teach property, you know, that's as good as it gets, it doesn't get any better than that for me.
1: So, what does this fusion look like on an average day?
0: So in, in a typical day, I'd have a class, there's obviously student inquiries before the class, student inquiries after the class. Unfortunately, there's marking which I'm not a big fan of but has to be done. Uh, admin. But I mean, there's also, you know, flexibility. It's good. I I often catch up with my students just over coffee, um, not just about property, but also what their aspirations are. Not so much in creating wealth, because here I'm I'm more about uh, helping them find a career in property. Uh, And because most of my students are international students a long way from home, in particular now COVID-19, I think they appreciate speaking to somebody who's a bit more mature than than they are, got some experience in life and in property. So yeah, for me, it's again, keeping it real, it's not just about study, it's also about the whole person.
1: Growing up, Kalisos found that being immersed in the property industry from an early age had a subconscious effect on his trajectory.
0: My father was a real estate agent, hence the interest in real estate. Now you know, I didn't make a conscious decision to get into uh, the real estate area. But I just think through a process of osmosis and sitting down at the dinner table and listening about property every day and sometimes helping my dad, because he was an avid investor himself, sometimes helping dad with maybe, you know, taking rubbish to the dump or doing some jobs around some investment properties or properties that he he used to be a a big flipper, buy something, fix it up and sell it. Um, And so that's how I got into property, you know, what kid wants to be on the back of a trailer or at a dump throwing rubbish when it's 30 degrees when they could be out playing with their mates. Um, but, look, I never really found it a, a chore. I I really... Uh, I don't know if enjoy is the right word, but I didn't mind it. You know, I didn't mind that I was... I, mean, I, I suppose most kids would, be, would love to be asked by their parents to help out because they were seen to be, you know, useful. Um, And so I I enjoyed that bit, Um, but generally speaking, childhood was good. Um, Went to school at uh, Underdale High School, which is a suburb, which is a school in the western suburbs of Adelaide. Um, Yeah, had a great time in school, had a great time at university, and still having a great time at university.
1: Before Kalisos was a university lecturer, his students were quite a bit younger,
0: so straight from high school I went to Teachers College. Back then you didn't have to go to university to be a, a teacher, you just went to Teachers College. So I went to Teachers College and got my, back then it was just a diploma you needed, three years. Now you need a four year degree to be a teacher. First job was out in the country, in South Australia. So I had a contract for a year and then I had some part time positions for two years in the city. And then I got my first permanent job back out in the country on the York Peninsula in South Australia. Stayed there for seven years and then came back and taught in the city in a couple of different schools. So I started off teaching the young ones like year three and year four, but most of the time I was teaching year sixes and year sevens. Um, And I, um, I developed a great interest in financial literacy, especially when I came back to the city. So I actually wrote a unit of work called Money Matters for Kids, where I would teach kids about saving and investing and budgeting and finding your right career. And I incorporated, you know, tried to incorporate as many areas of the curriculum as I could. Um, and we used to have, you know how how you have school fairs, school fates. so we, we would have that, but I would call it an enterprise fair because if the kids wanted to say, set up a sausage sizzle they had to give me a business plan. So, how many sausages do you expect to sell? How much are the sausages going to cost you? Where are you going to get the barbecue from? How much is the gas going to cost you? And then, you know, come up with the bottom line, whether it was sausages, whether it was cupcakes.
1: Still wanting to build on his passion for property investing, he continued to develop his knowledge during his teaching career.
0: When I was uh, teaching, I also went back and did postgraduate qualifications in property and town planning so um for me yeah your your learning doesn't finish at the end of school or at the end of university because things change things change i realized that i had a big interest in real estate both my wife and i did the diploma in real estate or whatever the correct term was back then just to have a better on un- because that's all you i mean you could do a degree but um, i wasn't really interested in doing a degree in real estate back then so I did a, a diploma in real estate to get a better understanding of in particular the buying and selling process um, and, and like I said before, my wife did that as well.
1: It wasn't until returning to his hometown that Kalisos realized he could forge his love of teaching and property into a new kind of role.
0: Then when I came to back to Adelaide, um, I, I uh, worked out that I wanted to get into adult education I mean, there are still some things now that I miss about school teaching, but I also, I also wanted to have the experience of teaching adults. So I started at, in, in some places in Australia, they call it like adult community education. So you can go there to learn anything from how to start a business, playing the drums, massage, you know, so it's an informal education. You don't finish up with some sort of paper. So I started, I wrote some courses and started teaching there and then I decided if anyone's gonna take me seriously in teaching property, I had I needed more than just a, a teaching degree and so it was then uh, I, I went back to uni to study part-time to do a, a graduate diploma in property and then I did a master of business in property and then later on I did a master's of urban and regional planning.
1: Corliss's first investment was perhaps like many of us, the family home.
0: So, we bought our f- first house when I got my first permanent job in the country, and one of the reasons was because there was nothing to rent. And back then, as it is now, it cost just as much to rent a place as it did to buy a place. You needed the deposit, but so far as the weekly outflow was concerned, the mortgage repayment was about the same as the rent. So, we bought a house there, had a f- First child out in the country, and then we we bought our first investment in the first year we came back. So there were we bought a group of units in the town we used to live in, and we still have them now. Um, and one of the reasons one of the reasons is we, we had good cash flow. We knew we had local knowledge, which is really important in property because the one thing you can't change in property is location. Local knowledge is really important, and so we were comfortable with buying the group of units there. Um, and then, yeah, that, that, that's where our investment journey started.
1: At the beginning of Kalisa's investment journey, not every property purchase was financially achievable alone.
0: The next one was a project which was buying an old house on a big block. We got the planning approval to keep the house and build two at the back. We were in no position there to build because I didn't know anything about building for a start. Plus, need, you needed know, you big money back then. And, and so my... Three, I said to my three brothers in law, How hey, about if we do this together? And we're talking now in the 80s, right? So you couldn't buy it for this price. So I said to them all, because we had to come up with a deposit. I said, If you each give me $6,000, uh, I'll, I'll be able to give you your $6,000 back plus another $6,000. So, which was 100% return on equity, not a 100% return on investment, but 100% return on equity. But I didn't have any money. So I asked one of my brothers-in-law to give me the six thousand dollars, <laughs> and so yeah, because I figured, you know, well, I knew a bit about property. They had the money. Let's put it together and let's do something. And yeah, that that that's how it started. Everyone got their six thousand dollars back. They got the neck they got a six thousand dollars profit. So basically, we put we had to put in twenty four thousand dollars for the deposit, borrow the rest. Finish the project. Pay off all the debts. They get their. Everyone gets their money back, and plus they get that a- again in profit.
1: While his group investing experiences have largely been positive, he wouldn't recommend it as a regular tactic.
0: We've generally done stuff on our own because when I mean, there's enough risk in investing anyway. But when you invest with other people, then you then you introduce business risk. And, and even though you, the people that you work with, you know, whether it was my brother-in-law or my cousin, are all lovely people and nice. Number one, they may not be the best person to do business with because they may not be business savvy. They may not spend wisely or they're really tight and they won't spend at all. But the other reason is, you know, even though the person you're investing in is really nice, you don't know much about their partner. And if it's a long-term project, you know, and things go wrong with the partnership of your friend or your relative, then you know, that that puts some complexity into the project. Then you might have to sell when you didn't really want to, or they are being influenced by their partner, which then puts pressure on you. So personally, I just find it's better for me and and certainly easier to do projects on my own. But when I first started, I couldn't afford to do that. So, you know, people who are listening to this need to make up their own mind. Just be aware that that there are added risks when you do deals with other people.
1: Not all of Kalisa's property investments have planned out perfectly, although he thinks that through every frustrating experience, he is continually learning.
0: Probably the worst was, we for those people that know Adelaide, you probably heard of Glenelg Beach, which is the premier beach. It's like the Sydney's equivalent of Bondi, or Adelaide's equivalent of Bondi. Sorry. Um, so we had a we had a property just one street back from the beach. And it was a group of 13 uh, bedsitter units or studio apartments. And the location was fantastic, but the quality of tenants was awful. And it was gonna be a long-term investment, but we only had it for six months. The market was going up, so we actually sold it at a profit, which was good. Um, and now I see, because it is so close to the beach, somebody's gonna build some apartments on it, which is lovely, and I'm sure they make a mozza. But we don't regret selling because that was the best decision at the time under the circumstances. And so that probably taught me a good lesson in local knowledge. So it's not just about the suburb, but it's about where in particular in the suburb. So which street are you buying in? Which part of the street are you buying in? And what type of property are you buying? Obviously, if i bought houses in uh, Glenelg, I probably would have been better off so far as the quality of tenant was concerned, um, but you know, very small properties in poor condition. Even though the land component was quite valuable, it didn't attract the best tenants. So that was a very interesting lesson.
1: For Kalisos, someone who understands the value of lifelong learning, these moments of realization have helped him become a more savvy investor.
0: Was when I was doing my masters of urban and regional planning. The region I did it is because I wanted to learn more about it personally, not not professionally, but personally, so I could I could do more developments, but do it with an educated and informed mindset rather than just hoping for the best. And it was one of the and I so I picked I cherry picked the courses that I wanted to do. Um, and I said to myself, I don't need to do the whole masters, but I'll pull out when I stop enjoying it. I stopped enjoying it when I was writing my paper, but by then it was too late so I just finished I decided to write my paper and move on. But the biggest lesson I learned was, and this is still true and for anyone listening in in Australia, when you're you're looking at development and you're looking at the plans, whether they're developed by the council or the state government, all these plans are guidelines. So where it says you need a minimum of 300 square metres per dwelling and a minimum of nine metre frontage, It doesn't mean that if you have a block of land that's 290 square meters, they're going to say no. Or if it's eight and a half meters wide, they're going to say no. Because before then, I would look at sites and if it was just under, whether it was area or frontage, I would just move on and look for the next one. But for me, and for me, that learning that presented me with many more opportunities um, because it was the properties that were on the borderline that might get approved or may not, that many people left alone uh, and more experienced developers were willing to risk it. Now, there's no guarantee. You know, you might buy a, let me do my maths here on my head, you might buy an 870-square-metre block which allows you to cut it up into three 290-square-metre allotments, but in the end the council says no. Then what are you going to do? So you either, you either when you purchase it, you have to get it subject to council approval, or you may have worked out, even if you can only get two on there, you're still going to make money. So one thing that I teach in class is when you're doing a, a development, in, in particular more so than a long-term investment because time is quite forgiving in long-term property investment. But when you're doing a development, which has a short-term time frame, you need to do a scenario analysis. What's the most probable outcome? What's the best outcome? But very importantly, what's the worst outcome? And if you're still making money in the worst outcome, you're in a pretty good position.
1: Even though Kalisos has experienced so much success in both his professional life and personal property portfolio, he's proud to help contribute to the success of others.
0: I mean thankfully, the kids that I had in my class that were taught money matters for kids, hopefully, you know, they picked up a few basic tips You know, simple things like make sure that you spend less than you earn and make sure that you save some money and investing is about some sort of sacrifice now for the benefit later on. Well, actually, that's one of the things that I'm thinking of doing when I retire is I'll go back and volunteer in schools to teach them financial literacy. I mean, I don't know how much one person can do but it's better than nothing.
1: In all these years as an educator and an investor, Kalezos has learned to never overlook an effective strategy, even if it may seem daunting at first.
0: I find the um, the sweetest deals are those that you you just subdivide the land. All the all the development projects that I've done, not all the development, all the building projects that I've done, I've done to build and keep, not build and sell. And generally, I'll keep for around five years because that's the best depreciation period and then I move on to the next development.
1: Like any investment strategy, Kalizos says in his own experience of property development, it quite literally pays to look into the numbers.
0: I'll give you an example and people can uh, Google if they want. So it's 25 Peterson Crescent Port Norlanga which is a seaside suburb here in Adelaide. So its uh, if you go and have a look at it, you'll see that it's a triangular block which put a lot of people off. Um, But if you look at it on Google Maps or Google Earth, you'll see now that it's chopped up into three allotments. So the the first two allotments are quite rectangular, except for the slant at the back. But the other block is, yes, triangular. Um, But for memory, I reckon my percentage profit on that was like 25 to 30% just by chopping up the land. But you go there now, And you'll see three houses on there, but I never built the houses. Pick it. I mean, if I give you some, let me give you some rough numbers to see what it's worth now. So, if let's say I I bought the land for five hundred, right? Knocked down the house, did the subdivision, and now it's worth six hundred, right? It cost me six hundred, and and I chop it all up, and I can each block. Owes me 200, but it's worth 250. All right? So somebody buys it at 250 and they want to build their dream home, and their dream home costs another 250. So for them, you know, 250 plus 250 is 500. But if I was to do it and spend another 250, so each block of land owes me 200. Now I've got to borrow another two fifty. That makes four fifty. Doesn't mean that I make 50000 $50, dollars profit because now I've got interest to pay, right? And there there are other major holding costs. So for me, I would have been better off, which I did. It owes me two hundred. Sell it for two fifty. Make fifty. Rather than it owes me four fifty and sell it for five hundred, I still I still only make fifty. Well, not really because I have got to lose money in paying interest.
1: Kalisos claims that most of his property purchases have been opportunistic, taking the right chances at the right times. He says that the simple forces of supply and demand can also be an investor's most powerful guide. So, his key takeaway is learning how to read them. Most of
0: my purchases were all opportunities. I saw the opportunity and I took advantage of it Uh, and I've been fortunate enough to go through a number of property booms like the one that we're experiencing. And that's and that's where the satisfaction and the reward comes. Like for in particular in the smaller capital cities like Adelaide and Brisbane, uh, and even you know uh, places like Darwin. Well, actually, Darwin fluctuates too much. So, say so Adelaide and Brisbane, not much happens for many years, and then for about two or three years there's a big spike, and then not much happens for many years, and then you get another spike. Whereas in Melbourne and Sydney, you can get big spikes, but also big dips, big spikes and big dips. So. You know, if you're holding property in Adelaide or Brisbane, for most of the time, there's not much happening. Like, it might go up a few percentage points. But it's periods like this where it goes up by 20% in one year, which is good, but we've had better years in the past. Like, I've done the research and I know that in the early 2000s, Perth increased by 45% in one year, Hobart increased by 55% in one year. You imagine owning property in that period of time. So that's what—that's why I say that owning investment property long term is the best way to make money. Because you don't know when that boom is coming, but when it does come and you own a number of properties, that's where the money's to be made.
1: COVID impacts have caused huge disruption to many investment strategies, whether by changing markets or patterns of behaviour. However, as a lifelong student, despite his success, Kalisos says he's learnt from Australia's pandemic changes.
0: I didn't predict that property prices were going to go up over 20% because of COVID. I, like many others, thought that it was going to go backwards, but I, I said it was going to go backwards by 5%. Others said it was going to go back by 15 or 20%. But to go up, this is... And it's all about, for me, it's all about shortage of supply. It's because there's not many houses to buy. It's not like stacks of people are looking to buy. It's because there's not many properties for sale. So. Back in March last year when COVID first hit, I was very worried because I I knew we had economic downturns before, but not pandemics and lockdowns, you know, that was the beginning. So I went back and looked at what happened to property prices after the 1970s, 1980s, 1990s recession and global financial crisis and discovered that residential property is actually quite resilient, not necessarily commercial property, but residential property is and you, you just need to look at some of the major events, global events and what's happened to property prices. Like we often talk about the post-war boom. So we had, we had the war which lasted for six years and it was horrific and huge impact, not just economic. But after that, it was like a big release or a big relief. And I think the pandemic is a little bit like that. People were very scared and often when people are scared, they flock to safety. And one of the safest investments is real estate. But also, it, not just looking at it as an investment, but people wanted to secure their home, a place to live. So um, what what's happened is for, for many people, I think the reason why there's not a lot of properties for sale is some people are still very scared and are not willing to put their property on the market. Because they may not be sure of their job, you know, in lockdown. And when you're on job keeper and job seeker, things might be okay. But you're off job keeper or job seeker, and you're in tourism or travel or hospitality, then you know it could be an issue. Um, or if your job is in, you know, retail, with more and more people buying stuff online, we don't need physical people standing in the retail store, but we might might need people back in the warehouse you know, loading up the delivery vans. So I think that's the main reason why people are not putting their properties on the market. Um, And for property owners, the story is gonna get even better because when international borders open and somewhere between 300,000 or 400,000 people come into Australia every year, they've all gonna live somewhere. And so, you know, rental vacancies are really low at the moment which means there's hardly any properties to rent which means rents are going up and that's with nobody coming into Australia. What do you think is going to happen when hundreds of thousands of people start coming?
1: As global borders start to reopen for the long term, his opportunistic strategy means taking advantage of what will surely be new property conditions. Whether you are looking to enter the market, renting or even managing a large portfolio he says everyone should act accordingly.
0: You know, fortunately, any tenants or renters that are listening, the news is not good for you because I, I, I'm not going to get into too much economics speak, but supply is inelastic, whereas demand is elastic. What I mean is, demand people can people can change their mind about buying property overnight, like as happened with Home Builder. Home Builder was amounts on a Sunday. On the Monday, stacks of people are out looking at, for new homes. But it's not like on the Monday there was 100,000 new homes magically built. Like it, it takes, first of all, you've got to find the land, right? And then you've got to build the house. So there's a big, big lag with uh, supply. And look what's happened when we try to increase supply. There is a shortage of building materials, of concrete, structural steel and timber. And so, generally speaking, new property adds about 2% to the existing stock. So in simple numbers, if you've got a country town with 100 houses, probably next year you'll have 102 houses. Now, people might be thinking, well, let's just build more houses. Well, look what's happened when we tried to build more houses. There's a shortage of materials. And so, you know, maybe we need to look at designing properties differently or constructing them differently. Because if we're going to build them brick by brick and it's going to take a year to build, you know, we're going to have this rental issue for a while. Because those those migrants will, well, not only will those migrants continue to come in like they used to, but we've got to make up for lost, lost time. So if we used to take in 300,000 people, we'll probably take in more to make up for that lost time. And we're fortunate in that Australia is a very popular country to migrate to for many reasons. And now they have another one because Australia coped with COVID-19 very, very well. So look, unfortunately, if you're a tenant, you know, I'd encourage you maybe to secure a long-term lease, you know, more than just a year. Um, And the the other thing you might want to look at, if you can, is save some money to try and buy something. Because I've just talked about the rental situation, but the property price situation, What happens is most people that come in, they are not allowed to buy because you're going to become a permanent residence. Most permanent residents, sorry, most immigrants can buy when they get the permanent residency, which means they've lived here for two years and worked for at least one. So in two years' time, after after the gates open or the borders open, then we're going to have a lot of people moving from renting to buying. Well, like I said, you can't you can't just magically bring in hundreds of, or tens of thousands of new homes. So I think for property, it's going to be, if you own property, it's going to be a golden era, a bit like a significant portion of the 70s and the 80s and the early noughties where we had large increases in property prices, whether it was because of increased demand or limited supply. And th- this time around going forward, it will be increased demand in particular from overseas migrants.
1: From studying historical property patterns and applying basic supply side principles, Kalisos says property investors should actually be excited about what the future holds.
0: I don't think we'll be going as fast as we are but I can virtually guarantee you the property, property prices will be higher in 12 months time than they are today. And they'll be higher again in twenty-four months' time than they are today. And some some areas will benefit more than others. I actually think Sydney and Melbourne, their rate of growth will slow down mainly because of uh, people's not I wouldn't say exodus, but certainly considering moving to regional areas or moving to smaller capital cities. You know, I, I know personally of, of three people whose job is based in Sydney. But they're living in Adelaide. I just spoke to a journalist just before I spoke to you. Melbourne job lives in the country town in Adelaide. Now, you imagine that you're on a Melbourne salary and you live in a country town paying peanuts for rent or property.
1: But, like any other of life's endeavours, Kalisos believes to make the most of a good situation. Investors should arm themselves with knowledge, which he continues to do. When I was
0: a young, young lad, many years ago, when dinosaurs roamed the earth, I read a lot of books written by Noel Whittaker yeah, he's fantastic. He's written many, and even now you look at him, he's written books for young kids. He's written books for people that are looking to retire, you know, with super and everything in between. So I'd strongly encourage people to read books by Noel Whittaker. There's some other very credible uh, property authors. I really like um, Margaret Lomas's books on property investment. Um, when it comes to property development. There's a Western Australian architect called Ron Forley, F-O-R-L-E-E is how you spell his surname. He's written three books on Australian residential property development. Or you do a course. Unfortunately, nowadays, not many people are interested in courses because of the time, more so. Uh, And I'm not saying you need to go to university to be a successful investor or developer, but even, like I mentioned, adult community education. They might run courses that go for two or three hours and might cost you 50 bucks or 100 bucks. You know, providing... And those sorts of organisations wouldn't have um, pirates running them. They'd be legit people who were there to educate you, I would imagine. Or, um, you know, look at what other courses, credible institutes are offering. Because one of the beauties about the course, unlike a book, is assuming the course is being taught by a real person, you can ask them a question. And you can also learn from the other people. Now, the other people may not be in the room, they might be on Zoom, right? But not only do you learn from the person at the front of the room, but you also learn from other people who have similar interests, but maybe different experiences to you. So, you know, so far as resources are concerned, you can start very simply with articles and books, go to informal courses and then you might want to do some more formal courses um, to further your
1: education. In his own life, some of the best little nuggets of wisdom have come from the most unexpected of places. Yet, they may have been wasted if he didn't get out into the real world and just had a go.
0: So. Uh- like I said at, at the beginning, I reckon it was through a process of osmosis sitting at the dinner table with Dad talking about property every day that I learned. So I don't think he deliberately wanted to mentor me or teach me, but it was just being engaged in the discussion that helped me learn more and also importantly, getting out and doing it. And so talking about resources is one thing to you know read and do courses. but in the end, you need to get invested. If you don't buy something, you're not going to make any money. Some people unfortunately suffer from analysis paralysis. They do so much analysis, spend so much time working out what's the perfect property, and by the way, the perfect property does not exist, that they miss the train. And so, they end up never buying anything.
1: Kalisos says his own father left him with some advice all investors can utilize.
0: Like he would always say, look, if you buy a property, and the and the property pays all your expenses that's a good property well today you can do that and 30 years ago you could but when we had double digit interest rates and most people were negatively geared you couldn't do that but i I mean i understood what he said it was it was really more about affordability so that is you know buy something that you can afford i mean back then all right it didn't cost you any money now it might cost you 50 dollars a week or 100 bucks a week um but that was, that was certainly a, a valuable lesson. Um, and also mar- uh, marketing, as, as in when you're going to, if you're going to renovate, you want to fix up things that people will appreciate and pay money for. So I, I, I found, or he found, painting was best bang for your buck. You know, you spend $3,000 on painting, you get much more than $3,000 back. But you spend $3,000 on putting a rainwater tank in, Nobody cares, or you put in, you know, spend three thousand dollars and put something in that nobody can see. See, they need to be able to see it. So you might might be extra insulation in the walls or in the ceiling. Nobody can see that; they're not going to pay extra. But you spend three thousand dollars on an air conditioner, people will see that. They'll pay extra for that.
1: We ask Kalisos to give us a piece of his own advice.
0: Luck isn't luck. The crossroad between opportunity and preparation. Uh, I, some people might think, you know, that I'm lucky or other successful people are lucky, but there's a lot of work that's gone into it. You know, for most of my working life, I was doing something else other than work, whether it was, you know, working part-time at school, uh, sorry, working full-time at school and studying, or whether it was working full-time somewhere and part teaching somewhere else part-time or whether it was, you know, working and doing developments or working and renovating. So, no, it it might look lucky, you know, you might look at successful people, whether it's in property or whether it's in business and you think, oh, geez, they're lucky. Well, for most people, unless, you know, some rich parent gave them a million dollars or rich grandparent gave them a million dollars, for most people it's hard work that they may not, Moan or whinge about, uh, but it's hard work that they've done in the past that bears fruit later on. Remember, I said earlier, investment is about sacrifice now for a benefit in the future. So sacrifice some time, whether it's learning about property, working extra. Because if you work extra, then your serviceability increases. Then you can, you know, buy more. Um, But you won't reap the benefits until. The property market goes up in particular in a property boom like we're experiencing now.
1: Despite experiencing incredible success with his substantial portfolio, Kalisos isn't planning on slowing down anytime soon. He thinks he's been gifted with the perfect opportunity to share his genuine passion for property.
0: Well, you know, teaching at one of Australia's best universities in an area that I'm really passionate about you know, for me, it doesn't get any better than this, you know, this is as good as it gets. So I just want to do more of this for as long as I can. I'm not, you know, I'm not hanging out to retire, uh, I mean if retirement comes, you know, I'm, sh- I'm sure I live very comfortably but you know, so long as people are happy to pay me to teach property, mate, I'm happy to continue to do it.
1: He's had some of his own helpful resources spanning topics from residential development to large-scale commercial properties, here's how to access them.
0: So the third book which is coming, I'm writing it together with Margaret Lomas is on small-scale residential property development. Uh, so that, that could be another good resource for people. I've written a series of articles. If people Google my name and property development 101, they will um, they, can, they can see a series of 10 articles I've written. Basically, it's on the steps of property development. Uh, if they Google my name, property development 101 videos, they'll see a series of videos which is all about the development of those places I built on the Esplanade Port and south which I talked about earlier um, and talking to the people involved like the mortgage broker, the accountant, the builder, the town planner and so on.
1: If you want to reach out and learn more from Kalisos about his strategy and enrol in his new course, here's how.
0: So people can email me at the new, Actually, the new course that I'm writing which is called Introduction to Property and Valuation I'm also making a non-award course, which means you don't have to enrol in the Masters. You don't have to have had an undergraduate degree. Anyone can enrol. You don't have to do the assessments if you don't want, you know. And we start off easy, but then we move into some more difficult concepts, and you may not stay for the full 12 or 13 weeks. But one of the important bits of the course for me, again, it's keeping it real, is we do a field trip. So we go around, you know, and, and... I'll explain why this makes a good investment. This does not make a good investment. This makes a good development. This does not make a good development. So you can talk about it all you like in class, but it's not when you're actually physically there that it really soaks in. Now, I know that might be hard for people that don't live in Adelaide, but you, you can do the course remotely and then you just might come for that one weekend because the field trip is on a Saturday and do the field trip. But um, that should be on the Adelaide University website early in the new year. Intro, Introduction to property and evaluation. Um, yeah, for, that's for anyone for the non award component.
1: Thank you to Peter Kalisos, our guest on this episode of Property Investory.